Guys, we try to keep track of most of the stuff on Game of Thrones for you, but if you're getting confused about who's related to who, or where is this place in relation to that place, highly recommend you check out that iBooks has an exclusive version of George R.R. R. Martin's original Game of Thrones books called the Enhanced Editions that help you keep track of the storylines and characters in really fun, interactive ways. There's maps, there's family trees. These books are available only on iBooks. So go to apple.co slash Game of Thrones and check them out. They're not available in all countries, but they will be available hopefully, where you live. Finally, Game of Thrones returned Sunday night after the longest wait we have ever had for the series with the Season 7 kickoff. I'm James Hibbard, EW Editor-at-Large, and with me is Darren Franich. So much to talk about, uh, and we're going to start with basically our overall thoughts my take on this, and by the way, if you've, you know, we got to see this at the premiere screening in Los Angeles last week, and the next time Game of Thrones does one of those things where they have like a limited IMAX release of some kind, like they've done in the past, if you have an opportunity to see the show that way, I hugely recommend it. Uh, you know, there's all these like details in the costumes and the backgrounds and in the sound design that you just don't pick up on uh, television. You know, there's no other show that fills the big screen better than this one. So, uh, big picture, I, you know, I thought the premiere set the stakes for season seven perfectly. It had that great blend of epic presentation and intimate character moments that Thrones does better than anything else. And even a distracting Ed Sheeran couldn't spoil it for me. Uh, what was your take, Darren? Uh, yeah, uh, the, the Ed Sheeran cameo was interesting. I, I barely know who he was, and even so, I was very distracted by him. But generally speaking, you know, James, I, I feel as if the premieres of Game of Thrones are always about, like, you know, a certain amount of table setting. And this episode literally gave us, like, two different monarchs with two different huge maps of the world that they want to conquer. And it really felt to me like, you know, there was a lot of setup here, perhaps even, like, more so than I might want, given like how few episodes we have left. But just like, you know, that moment at the end of Danny looking at her map of the conquered world. And even more so, you know, you were talking about watching this on the big screen. On the big screen, Cersei's awesome, like bespoke painted floor plan of Westeros. You could really spot like every individual little corner, every mountain, every piece of uh, topography. And so, you know, it was definitely, I think, especially coming off of the one-two punch last season, this was certainly kind of back to a slower pacing of Thrones. Um, but I feel like everybody at the end, that sequence of Danny's arrival, you, you just have this feeling of like, all right, like this is the end game that's being set up now. You know, like this is not like an arranging of level bosses. This is like the final opponents in this thing are really kind of starting to arrange themselves, which, which, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, and uh, you know, in terms of the pacing, uh, you know, we've said, uh, reported before that this season has a faster pace, and you probably don't feel that that much in this episode. But starting next week, it's it's definitely on. And uh, but okay, let's talk about the premiere. Uh, we'll go around the Westeros map like usual. Okay, so let's start with that cold open, uh, which is. Very cleverly done, because what they did is by putting it before the credits and opening with Walder Frey, the show is 
trying to trick you into thinking that this is a flashback because that, that's what they've done before and they've done flashbacks. You know, they put them before that credits to make it suggest that's a moment out of time like they did with the Maggie the Frogs, you know, you know Cersei flashback. And so you're supposed to go into that thinking, okay, you know, this is some previous flashback. At what point did you, Darren, sort of clue into that this is not a flashback at all, but uh, Arya in disguise. It was it was sort of a process because when you know when Walder Frey was on screen, the first thing we saw for a second, I was like, "Oh my god, is this a flashback to the Red Wedding?" And like, I was fully expecting you know we'd turn around and see Rob, and I, I was I was not prepped for that. Um, but once it became clear it was not that, I, I kind of have a thing like once you've seen somebody like you know Ethan Hunt once, like you know once you've seen someone like you know pull off their face, <laughs> this is this is sort right. of like one one thing that I'm excited about this season but also like I'm very intrigued to see how they handle you do get to a point where you're just constantly like okay like at any point someone might pull their face off so I I, I kind of <laughs> caught into it I think it was like, like right when they did like the full cheers because also at this point in time in Westeros why would you ever drink any wine offered by anyone like th- that just does not seem like that's a good move given the sheer amount of poisonings that have happened uh, over the last few years and over the last few wars <laughs> best I can tell wine is all they drink they don't actually see to drink water you never have you never have somebody with water just just drinking that and I, but i think that there's a reason for that isn't, isn't the reason that because alcohol kills off like germs and bacteria it, you know, in medieval Europe, it, it, it was it was like safer to drink wine than it was to drink water. I think that's true. Or if not, I'm at least going to confirm that piece of, of pseudo history because I had one history teacher who claimed that a lot of the problems of the Dark Ages came from the fact that everyone was just drunk all the time because indeed <laughs> that was a safer thing to drink than water, as you said. Like, yeah, like, you know, imagine if you drink the local water, you might like go crazy or die of like some disease. So you might as well just drink the mead that, you know, somebody made in whatever you also use as, as a toilet uh, out back. So yeah, that's a good theory. That's a good theory about like kind of Westerosi uh, culture. Everyone's wasted all yeah. the time. I, I just thought, you know, James, it is funny. We're talking about this more and I was saying like, oh, like I don't know. It was a slow episode. This episode started with like 90 warriors vomiting blood in the middle of like, you know, <laughs> one of the worst places in Westeros. Like that's that's a pretty nice cold open. How did you kind of feel about, about that and also just about like what that kind of means for Arya? Like, I, I don't know. I coming off last season I was like wow okay like Arya's really on this like slow build to becoming a, a real badass now I mean always been a badass but now she's you know gonna be like a badass assassin but I assumed the build was gonna be slower than like oh you just did a full family side on a house fray like that was that was pretty impressive <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I mean she just completely wiped out that entire house and, and uh, I can't help but always have like logistical questions in my head like how is she pulling all this off in the kitchen of the phrase castle and does having the face on make you taller too because wouldn't there be a height disparity there between her and Walder Frey how does that you know so but aside from those like you know you know you know questioning magic logistical things I just thought it emotionally lurked really well and they had that nice you know walking you know through all the bodies moment and then just the smash cut to the credits and yeah we're back 
Yeah, we're back. Uh, I, I will just say just one last note on this. I've now made peace with the fact Lady Stoneheart will not be on this show. Don't I, I don't even like go into who that is and what that means. <laughs> if you know, you know. But I will just say one thing about Lady Stoneheart in the books is she's kind of this figure that represents like almost the toxicity of vengeance. Like as much as you might agree with her, you ultimately disagree with her methods. I was kind of wondering, and this is a pin that I'll stick in for later in this season. I'm wondering if we're meant to think maybe the same thing about Arya on the show. Like, yes, we fully support what she's doing, but you do wonder, like, oh, like, you know, at what point do you not rescue the nice young women in the Frey household? Like, you know, at what point does this vengeance sort of ultimately start to claim her soul? So I'll just, I'll just, I will put a pin in that right now, uh, and we'll see where that goes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great point, and actually leads right into the other uh, scene with Arya, the, the Ed Sheeran scene, because you have these, and this is, I think this is one of, if not my favorite scene in the episode, it, it was it was one I completely didn't expect. You have all these Lannister soldiers who are supposed to be the bad guys, and the scene sort of wonderfully humanizes them, and you're kind of finding yourself worried for the Lannister soldiers that Arya might be thinking of, like killing them or or, or something within the scene. And you know, I assume what they're doing is they're setting this up because there's a war coming. The writers don't want you to view a group of soldiers as just dragon fodder. They really want you to care about every one of them, you know, even if one is a famous pop star. <laughs> yeah, even even if one is a like beautiful young red haired boy who doesn't quite seem to fit in with this world. I know I'm I'm with you, James. I'm a I mean, I am such a sucker for when Thrones does that. Like I do feel like, you know, one of the fears as we get closer to the end game is like, you know, will there only be time for these like incredible larger than life figures and, you know, these families and these like century old vengeances. All cool. But I do like how in this episode, I felt like that was a statement of purpose. You make time for the one soldier who's, you know, like wife just had a kid and Arya kind of asked like, oh, like, you know, is it a boy or a girl? And he's like, I don't know. Like, what do you, what do you think I am? You think like, <laughs> you think we all just have like ravens that are like, you know, magically flying yeah. back and forth? It's like, you know, we live in Westeros, right? You know, <laughs> like, like, sorry, lady, we don't all have access to this avian based mode of telecommunication that everybody else here seems to have. No, I, and right. I, you know, I, and I just loved again, what a great button to put on that scene you know she says like I'm going to kill the queen and they all laugh I also liked how King's Landing which once upon a time seemed like a really nice place like it does not have the best rep anymore there's been some reverse gentrification that has happened in King's Landing over the last (laughs) few years and these these Lannister soldiers are just like get me out of there I'll go anywhere I'll go to like you know I'll go to freaking like Pike over King's Landing now (laughs) right right well I mean we we always see like like the distant shot of of like the the towers and the castles that looks all magnificent but uh, yeah day to day not so much you know and the thing is about that ending about her saying she's going to kill the queen that that's a revelation too because we didn't know what she was going to do next. And a lot of online speculation has it that, oh, Arya must be going to Winterfell. And uh, so I, I think that line probably took a lot of people by surprise. Yeah, I was definitely surprised. And, you know, it's good to know, like, that kind of bit of narrative signposting. I am sad. You know, there is that kind of natural hope that all the Stark kids were going to all kind of start converging up in Winterfell. Speaking of which, James, should we just start? Let's go Let's go all the way up north. Let's go all the way up north to where it's freezing, uh, to where it's more freezing than, than usual. You know, uh, one of the great things I loved about your kind of Game of Thrones cover story was this idea you had teased that so much of this season is going to be characters who either have not seen each other since the beginning or have maybe never seen each other start to converge together you know 
Obviously, there are some great meetings that may be happening soon. I was stoked, though, Bran and Dolorous Ed finally got to get some FaceTime in together up at the wall, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting. Um, how did you kind of feel about Bran's re-arrival into the land beneath the wall? He's been on this, he's been on like a long journey north, and now he's almost, you know, finished with his journey south, it seems like. <laughs> Yeah, what well, what was interesting about that scene is uh, pretty much every scene that we've had spins forward to uh, some extent in the episode, but that one didn't really give you any clue as to what's next with that character there. So I, I found it interesting that that was all that they showed mm-hmm. uh, for, 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 from that. So so yeah, it was it, it was intriguing and raised some questions and. Uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty much it from that one. And and yeah, and also I, I think just reconfirming that like the powers that Bran has, you know, if they have not necessarily clearly evolved, they have advanced to a point where he can sort of do the like the Vulcan mind read, like I know right. what you've seen. I, I found right. I found that interesting too. And again, on this kind of point of how someone's personal evolution in a good way may have some sort of like, you know, not so good side effects. Like, you know, the fact that he now is seeming to me a little bit less human, the deeper in he gets on this kind of supernatural journey is interesting. Not like less human, like like he's a bad person, just like, you know, you're very aware that like this ends with you inside of a gigantic tree stump for 2000 years kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And and we're going to be seeing a lot more of that this season too. And uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's a bit like doing like, like the Patrick Jane mentalist thing on you know people he meets and just like you know blowing their 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 minds with all, all these factoids of, of, about themselves, but we should uh, scooch down a bit over to Winterfell, uh, which which had a couple of crucial scenes. You know, it's interesting because you have the scene with uh, Sansa and John in the Great Hall there in front of the Lords and. Sansa was on this really interesting journey uh, through seasons in terms of the way fans reacted to her and which fans were like, I don't like Sansa, I don't like Sansa. And then they felt really bad for Sansa. They thought that she was really awesome and a badass. And I feel like that scene is going to like reflare some of the anti-Sansa sentiment online. And the thing is, it makes perfect sense, the scene. I mean, because her anger is so at, at Ramsey, you know, must still be so great that she would totally have a total scorched earth policy for any families that supported him. But at the same time, you know, you know, arguing with uh, John and, you know, you know, and saying he's wrong in front of everybody is not only not good for John, it's not good for the whole family. I mean, it's just, you know, whether she, she you think that she's like right or wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's an interesting debate that has started between them that I think I'm still kind of wrapping my head around because this idea of, you know, essentially what the debate came down to was like, here are these two families, Karstarks and Umbers, you know, for millennia they have been on our side. Just so happens that very recently they uh, betrayed us in a pretty major way. You know, to what extent are we going to sort of value that over the sort of like, you know, extent of history we have with them? And, you know, w- what I like about that is th- this idea idea of both Sansa and John have been through an unimaginable amount of horror. You know, John had suffered his own violent death, Sansa and what happened between her and Ramsay and just her and her and a just long list of awful people in Westeros. And I do like this idea that like, you know, John on some level has sort of come out the other side, still trying to kind of honor his father's legacy in an interesting way, or at least certainly like, you know, trying to, you know, create this world. Where, okay. Like, yes, mistakes have been made, but we can kind of get back to this earlier idea of, of at least what the 
the North was. You know, we can get back to this idea of the North is a place where Starks and Carstarks and Umbers all work together and where you, young members of your family, Ned Carstark and Alice Umber, you might be all of 12, but, you know, you're in charge now and all is forgiven. And I do like the idea that Sansa on some level represents this idea of like, no, like we have to do things differently now. And what does that mean? Like how different is that going to be? And so, I, you know, I, I did find myself seeing her side obviously you know on some level you are in favor of cute young north northern warrior kids you're kind of like no like you know it'd be it'd be fun for these kids to sort of be in charge too but it was interesting to to see that kind of debate flare up i thought was kind of cool and i'm I'm definitely i'm excited by the fact that like that doesn't feel inorganic to me you know like it, it doesn't feel like it's like oh well like these two people have to have some kind of fight it is this legitimate like okay what are their what are their two responses to the horrors they've seen over the course of like six seasons and i I thought that was really interesting. Also, Sansa's awesome. A- anybody who says she's not a- after this episode, like, <laughs> we got to have words. Team well, well, Sansa of course. That, 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 that goes without saying. Yeah, but it was interesting because I posted this story about uh, how their relationship was going to have some tension uh, this season. And, like, all the comments on Twitter were like, no, 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 just <laughs> leave, Sansa, leave him alone. Uh, so, but going back to what you're saying, yeah, the... Um, yeah, it seems like yeah he's trying to operate as a uh, traditional Stark, and she spent this time, this horrible time with both the Lannisters and the Boltons, and she's coming back with a bit of, no, we should sort of operate in some ways like the people that I have been spending time with because, you know, their, you know, their brutality works. And... You know, I agree with John out of this, uh, not because, the, you know, they're, you know, you got the cute 13-year-old lords, but because of his logic uh, that the, given the threat that, that, that they're facing, that they can't, you know, have, you know, continue to foster some sort of conflict within the North, you know, they have to all come together. And so to me, I just think that his, his policy logically makes more sense. And it's the type of thing that, that you do, you know, to, you know, to really foster people to, to really, you know, love you and respect you. Exactly. And like on, on that note, we should say more than anything, I think what John is up to is incredible resource management. Resource management, really the key to a lot of successes in Game of Thrones. Um, yes. You know, as they're sort of having this debate, he's also said, like, you know, we need everyone to be, like, digging around for Dragonglass now. We need to conscript, like, everyone, boys and girls, doesn't matter, like, who, what, where. Um, and, you know, with that comes this idea of, and again, like, not to frame everything he's doing as, let's get back to how things used to be, he's also the, like, great disruptor who's like, hey, wildlings, can you go take over Eastwatch by the sea? Which, like, to, I, I think maybe my favorite just sort of single line of the episode, Tormund <laughs> in sort of classic, like, you know, Captain Phillips fashion saying, oh, I guess we're the Night's Watch now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. So really, you know, it, it, it might not be fair to, to paint him as a traditionalist and her as a progressive when really they're both progressives in different ways, yeah. uh, you know, going going into this. And, you know, I, there, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I just want to say I loved their scene afterward where they had that chat it felt you know where they're trying to come to some mutual understanding to me that felt very naturalistic and yeah. and real you, you know a- after the sort of you know declarative uh you know scene in in front of all the uh all the lords and i also just loved her dismissive line to Littlefinger, where she doesn't let him get the last word in and just says i'll just assume it, it's something clever <laughs> 
Just also want to give a, a quick shout out while we're on the topic of, of, of 12 year old lords. Uh, had a brief moment with uh, Leanna Mormont. James, look what kids can do when, when they aren't on YouTube all the time. You know, she's a proud warrior at this point. She's not going to like, like, like spend the war twiddling her thumbs. Always fun to see her. And by the way, James, like Leanna Mormont is a classic example of someone where she like pops up and I'm like, okay, I know she's related to other people. What is their exact family line? Uh, this is when I reach for my iPad, open up iBooks, and do, use the Game of Thrones enhanced editions. Because when you look through those books, you can literally click on like anyone's name, see their full family line, see what they've been up to. Like, I mean, I love kind of going back and rereading uh, George R. R. Martin's books, and like very often someone will pop up, and you're like, okay, what have they been up to to this point in the story with the enhanced editions of Game of Thrones? You can find out all that stuff. There's also maps, pop-ups for all character names, locations to help you keep track of all the action. Let's open up our app, move down the map of Westeros to another town where a lot of fun things are happening. James, King's Landing has seen better days, as Ed Sheeran told us. I'm sure he has a song about that in the world of Westeros. I really just loved how... I feel as if there's a real fandom around Cersei as queen now, just just because yes. like, she's now like so totally in it for herself in an interesting way, or at least you know more in it for herself than she has been, just because the number of family members she has has declined to one, as far as she's concerned. I love the sort of scene setting of her just literally walking all over Westeros. I, I thought that was just <laughs> such a wonderful kind of like image to have, as far as like what she's been doing and what she intends to do um yeah and i also just liked how i'm not quite sure what to make of her and jamie now just because like so much has happened between them i like the fact that we right. sort of stepped in with jamie saying like we haven't talked about the fact that like your actions sort of led to our last living child killing himself to which she yeah. kind of just said i mean here's someone who all along has been so focused on her family and the fact that she was just like well he betrayed me like you're sort of seeing like the final decadent stages of like monomania here and she's just like well you know even my closest family can't be trusted anymore um but i you right. know interesting to me too to see how if these are our two people who are now in charge of the Iron Throne, you know, if we're seeing what the John Sansa dynamic is, we're also seeing what the Jamie Cersei dynamic is. Um, you know, how do you kind of feel about the scene setting here as far as like what the Lannisters intentions are going forward? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like it's us against the world, and here is the world. Like on the floor at my feet, I made a massive illustration to depict all the people that hate me. <laughs> you know, it's like this total. Uh, yeah, I thought it did a good job. Yeah, you don't have the sense really with Jamie. It's like, are they sleeping together right now? Are they back? Or are they not? Think, it's I like think they're both in the doghouse right now. If if I had to guess, yeah, I'd bet there's a little like, bit of separate sleeping quarters happening right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Uh, yeah, it, it, I think I did a good job of sort of uh, you know, setting up the the exposition of 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 here is how screwed we seem to be, and Cersei seems to imply she might have a ace or two up her sleeve, including you know perhaps Euron two point uh, I was very much looking forward to this scene because I was on the set and got to interview uh, Pillow Asbik, who plays uh, Euron Greyjoy. I was really excited because he he looks very different. Uh, his his character uh, in the scenes I, I saw acted very you know a bit different. Uh, he's sort of different from both his character in the books and his character in last season, but it's also a lot more fun. He's sort of this 
swaggering, sexy, douchebaggy pirate guy now. Uh, you know, he comes, you know, swaggering it into the uh, throne room in his black leather jacket and his eyeliner, like some R-rated version of Captain Hook from Once Upon a Time. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I, you know. It's different, but it's fun. You know, I, you know, I loved him trying to, it was like he was trying to pick up Cersei at a bar right in front of her boyfriend, uh, yeah. is, is the way that scene played to me. Yeah, like, it's like watching the bassist from a grunge band become, like, the front man for Depeche Mode. Like, that is how hard of a reboot this is. <laughs> I, I love the look. Um, you know, I had sort of like you know you know told you about this. Everyone knows I'm a big fan of, of the show Vikings. It really feels to me like Euron now is basically a resurrected version of one of my favorite characters from Vikings, Ragnar. This very kind of like playful, conquering warrior figure. Um, I loved that his role in this episode, at least, was basically to be like the Carter Bazin figure. Like he's just there to sort of like be super funny and bantery. He had a lot of funny lines, just basically saying why he's a better guy than Jamie is like you know you know there was the line about two good hands you know um, yeah. they said like oh like you know you killed your brother and he kind of winked at Cersei and said you should try it sometime like I'm I'm a fan of all of this as you said James you know so different from what little we've seen of the character in the books like in the books he's a real like luciferian like pantheistic multiple devil type of figure and you know although that is interesting in its own right i think it's a smart move given the sort of layout of the show to be like all right here is somebody who's like funnier and is also very clear about what he wants and why he wants it like i, I think last season you had this sense of like all right this is like another like super ambitious figure and the fact that now it almost seems as if like like he's doing what he's doing just for the heck of it like I, I think that's a good sort of almost like yes. you know you know dark Han Solo esque figure to throw in to the mix um, right now I will say I mean as the world's reigning and perhaps one and only Greyjoy fan it's clear to me that the writers have gotten the note that people don't like the Greyjoys did you know Jamie had a line about the Greyjoys where he literally said they're not good at anything they're bitter angry <laughs> little people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, and the thing is, you can completely see like the Lannisters having that opinion of that family too. Mm. So, and plus, I just loved his sh his ship, uh, the Silence, with its like very complicated sail configure black sail configuration. It looked fantastic, and uh, and just you know from behind the scenes, you know, talking to the producers, it's like Euron Greyjoy is like the last major character that might be introduced into this story. And he plays such a crucial role this season. Just having him kind of menacing, growling, angry, and ambitious like like last season, I don't think would have worked nearly as well. I mean, they, they wanted to have him, especially with, with, with Ramsey Bolton now gone, you know, they wanted to have a great new human villain that felt unlike any other character that we've seen before in the show. And I think this accomplishes that. Totally. Well, and, you know, you just have this sense, which I feel like is so there in the later books, and I love that they're kind of picking up on this. Like, Westeros is kind of like a failed nation at this point. And, you know, as much as great to have these characters who are like, you know, we can bring this thing back to prominence, you know, we can rescue it. Great to have this person who's almost like really picking at the meat that's left on the bone. And you're very aware with Euron that, like, if the White Walkers come 
come. He's fine. He's he's sailing away. He's got like 14 other seas to go and explore, you know? And I just, I, I like that feeling. We left off with him essentially promising to sort of, you know, bring back something to prove his worth to Cersei. My, my assumption being he's off to sort of take out the other Greyjoys and uh, Daenerys. Did you have a different kind of sense of that? I mean, obviously there are a lot of other places he could go right now if he's seeking sort of, you know, to prove his worth to Cersei. But that was kind of my interpretation of, of where he's sailing off to. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely on a trophy hunt. And, uh, you know, Danny has, has a lot of different allies at this point. So, you know, it's not clear where he's necessarily going to show up next you're listening to game of thrones weekly game of thrones weekly it's so incredible to get to read a song of ice and fire the books that inspired game of thrones i used to love reading these books i still have some of my copies the one difficult thing is when you're reading them literally every page you have to flip to the front of the book to look at the map and make sure you know where on this continent you're located or flip to the back and figure out okay how is this gray joy related to that gray joy and were any of them ever starks before probably not the good news is ibooks has you covered with an exclusive version of george R. R. Game of Thrones saga called the Enhanced Editions that help you keep track of the storylines and the characters. It's fun and really interactive. When someone appears or reappears, you can kind of click on their name and see who they are, who they're related to, what they've been up to since the last time you saw them. Really key for the later books when people reappear after being gone for 2,000 pages. They have everything you could ask for. Maps, house histories, a great way to just dig into the arcana of the world that George R.R. Martin created. The author himself worked on these enhanced editions. Super fun. Check them out. They're available exclusively on iBooks. So go to apple.co slash Game of Thrones to see for yourself. Not available in all countries, but probably available where you live. Again, that's apple.co, not apple.com, slash Game of Thrones. I love the books so much. George R. R. Martin is such a brilliant writer, and this is just a great way to experience or re-experience the world that he created. Check it out on iBooks, the Enhanced Editions Game of Thrones. Darren, if you had told me that the Season 7 premiere would have a major scene that was all about the farmer and his daughter that we met in during one scene back in Season 4... I never would have believed it. I was like that. That I mean, talk about the most least expected callbacks we ever had. And of course, um, I'm talking about the outstanding scene. I thought with a uh, with the hound and the brotherhood coming upon a abandoned farmhouse. And yeah, and, and for those who, who don't remember, there there's a scene back in season four. Uh, the hound and Arya, you know, are, are taken in by this farmer and his daughter, and they they feed them and they're kind to them and. The hound beats the farmer and takes his money. He and he, he declared at the time, you know, which turned out to be correct. They'll both be dead come winter, and dead men don't need silver. Yeah, and I mean, you know, to have that return at this point in the show, th- this was my favorite scene of the whole episode. Um, so it goes back to what was also great about the Arya moment to not just have these sort of larger than life figures, but to have this real sense of like these individual lives in Westeros and how they're affected. Um, You know, the Hound in that scene, you know, there's the sort of baseline tragedy of they walk in there, you see the girl and the father, they are long since skeletonized, very clear that the father almost certainly took each of their lives 
lives rather than have them starve. Traumatic moment. Um, but then to go from that into what I thought was a really wonderful sequence and just further proof that, like, you know, so great to have the hound back in the rotation of characters here. He had this incredible mini speech that was kind of like, you know, Barrick, like, you know, you're not like, you know, I don't like you or anything, but like you're an okay guy. You're you're by no means the best warrior or best man I've ever seen. So why does the Lord of Light keep on bringing you back of all people? Right. And I loved that the first response was I don't know, followed by an interesting moment of epiphany, which to me worked best just because of the Hound's history. You know, the idea of him sort of looking into the fire, this thing that to him represents like a huge amount of trauma in his own kind of past life, but to look into the fire and kind of feel something larger than himself. I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, he sort of said like, you know, I can see where the wall meets the sea, the dead are marching by. I, I believe that is a reference to Eastwatch by the sea, which is, you know, the sort of second moment in the episode of signposting as far as where people might be going. Yep. Um, it is a difficult thing to take a character who's been defined by total amorality and make you believe that he's having some actual genuine, you know, change. And, you know, the, the ground was laid for this last season with Ian McShane's guest starring role. You know, the fire moment was interesting. For me, the moment that really brought it home was him like burying the bodies and just being like well yeah. like I didn't help you then you're not gonna know this is happening but like it's important that I do this even so I I, I thought that was all great and I thought just like you know th- that really landed for me the emotion of, uh, of that scene in a, in a pretty big way right and if you go I went back and watched that scene from uh, season four with uh, the hound and the farmer and it's very dramatic how much the hound has changed since then. You know, even though it doesn't feel when you watch the scene like that much of a dramatic departure from the hound later in season six. So it has been like this gradual evolution. But yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he has changed a lot as a character, and it's just, and just the the entire scene in terms of, of the way it was shot uh, was just very haunting and ghostly. And uh, yeah, yeah, see, I see some definite hints in that scene that they're basically making it very clear at this point that even though we haven't really been sure what Barrick's role is, if he, if he was going to have any kind of role, they've put such a fine point on that, that now we know that there has to be some payoff to that. Right. And, and once again, another reference to uh, the Hound and his fear of fire. And so, you know, that seems to be setting, you know, you know, that up for something else later on. And again, as you said, Eastwatch, you know, another reference to that. Just uh, on that note, I mean, like, you know, if they are in fact going to Eastwatch, you know, the, the prospect of a Hound slash Tormund, like, hang session is sort of like potentially in the offing, which I'd be super into that. I'm already kind of like, I'm already like friendshipping them. Is that a thing? I think it'd be like really good, like, like Tango and Cash type, type of of pals um so i'm excited yes. for that he totally uh bald shamed thoros too which which uh <laughs> drew a big laugh in, in the theater also i was just thinking that that at east watch by the sea so it sounds like 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 a main bed and breakfast doesn't it it <laughs> sounds like doesn't sound like like a castle necessarily but we serve breakfast each morning here at east watch by the sea <laughs> I don't have a good segue for this one, but we should go up to the Citadel for a check-in on Sam, too. It was cool because this sequence plays basically like, to me, 
and I'm stealing this from one of the producers who who made this comment to me. It's like the anti Harry Potter. You know, mm-hmm. he, you know, Sam goes to this amazing place of learning and knowledge where it seems like all his skills are now going to be appreciated, and he's going to, you know, grow and learn all this stuff. But instead, he's just emptying out chamber pots. You know, he's you know, you know, feeding people slop. Uh, there's the you know restricted section of the library where they keep all the you know defense against the dark arts books apparently you know just like in, in Hogwarts that they have to kind of break into you know how did you feel this scene played you know I loved it I, I do think that like one you know interesting issue that the producers have to face is they have so many characters on the show so it's often difficult to have like moments like this sequences like this that just kind of breathe one of the good things about killing off half your cast in the finale is now you have more time to spend and I love just like the drudgery of it all I love the fact that like even as like the dead are marching and as like more conquerors are sort of like advancing on all sides here in the Citadel like you know somebody's still gotta like put the slop in the bowls and take the slop out of the bowls you know like and and, and I mean slop in every possible sense of the word there so I appreciated that I mean you know this is just like a well-known fact that when George R. R. Martin was conceiving of the story there was a time where he was like all right there's gonna be like a big time jump in the story and I've always kind of felt like the Sam storyline lends itself to that the most like you know you know you, you almost imagine like okay this book ends, Sam arrives here, cut to years later. All right, we've now skipped through the Rocky montage of you becoming a, you know, high uh, maester. And so, you know, there is the interesting problem here of, okay, Sam's here for a purpose. How do we sort of honor that purpose while also showing that, you know, he is kind of going through what any kind of rookie maester has to go through. And I liked how they sort of gave us that great sequence of him talking to the the new archmaester figure. And I, I liked that that character kind of brought in this, you know, played by the great Jim Broadbent, he brought in this interesting perspective, which on one hand, you know, you sort of know it's wrong, but also good to sort of hear it. This idea of like, you know, throughout time, people have always thought in Westeros, the end was here in the long night, mm-hmm. you know, when they actually could have reasonably thought that, you know, you know, this idea right. of essentially winter always leaves was interesting. I mean, you know, again, you've just literally seen a moment earlier in the episode where the White Walkers are marching south. So you're like, oh, man, you know, you might think differently if you knew what we knew. But I like that sort of foregrounding of that, you know, that perspective of like, listen, like, you know, we, we don't need to worry about this just yet. And of course, Sam is like, yes, we do. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's also that button in that moment where he's like, you know, throughout all this, people always think, you know, you know everything is going to be disastrous, but the wall has always held, which also had another Harry Potter in sort of flashback for me. And that was the old thing is, oh, well, you know, as long as Dumbledore is still alive, you know, you'll you'll always be safe and protected. You know, there's <laughs> that setting up of, well, as long as that doesn't happen, then so it's like, well, what does it mean that he's that that he's saying that? Uh huh. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and you know, great that like having established you know this and establishing the sort of drudgery of Sam's life, he's like, okay, like I'm taking steps now to figure this out. He goes into I love your your description of the sort of like you know top secret corner of the library. I will say, fortunately, he seems to have grabbed like a couple of the right books. That that's a that's good. I mean, like you know, there were yes, like, a few hundred there. Found yeah, very, very quickly. Um, and you know. Just as far as like narrative signposting goes, great to have the sort of discovery that indeed Dragonstone called that for more reasons than just it sounds cool and and and, yeah. and people who were there. He's he said I, I believe that there is a mountain of dragon glass there, which you know. 
as far as potential alliances that might be formed, you know, as much as there may be a reason for the North and Danny to get along, there's now a reason for everybody to sort of start focusing in on Dragonstone as, as a place that could potentially provide the, uh, the armament against uh, the armies of the dead. So I thought that was uh, great to sort of, like, you know, it's almost a little bit like too straightforward in a way. But again, I, I, I like just this topic of resource management coming up. Like, you know, literally this, this alliance may need to happen because they have the stuff that we need to survive. You know, earlier on, Cersei had kind of said, or Jamie had said, you know, one issue that we have here as the Lannisters is like, you know, the Tyrells have all the livestock and we don't, and that's a problem. I like that kind of through line of like, okay, what are the things we need to support our kind of nation state? And I like that ultimately it came down to this thing we need, it's in this one place. What do we do to get that? So I'm, I'm intrigued to see how that kind of plays out going forward. Right, and of course, now Danny is at Dragonstone, and so that makes potentially something interesting there by this yeah. idea that that this thing that they need is where she is, which we should talk about. Uh, uh, you know, the arrival of Danny in Dragonstone. Um, I just thought it was just some, just you know, the word epic is so overused with the show, but epic scene setting, and it really showed how much grander the show has become from like back in season two. I think when Dragonstone was introduced back in season two, they had like a distant exterior shot. They had like the budget for like the table map room. And then they had like a bed chamber. And this time, I mean, you had this amazing walk up of these stones, you know, stairway. You had this uh, grand exterior with the gates, with the dragon heads. Uh, you have this amazing throne room with this, like, what looks like black, you know, jagged shale. And it was all done with silence. And, you know, only on Game of Thrones would you have this sequence that includes the, the, you know, the first top line star of the show, Peter Dinklage, and he doesn't even have a line of dialogue in the entire thing. He's just watching, um, leading up to that moment of, of her at the table and going, you know, you know, shall we begin? You know, one of the things I love about the show is you have so many different scenes that have different kind of energies and, and styles to them. You'll have this one that's an action scene. You'll have like a two-person dialogue scene. You'll have, you know, you'll have like a big group, you know, a debate scene. And, and then you then you have something like this, which is just uh, just these amazingly gorgeous shots and mood and, and this sense of, you know, trying to really, you know, drive home this moment for this character that from the very first episode that we've seen her, her goal has been to be there. And, you know, I, I, th- I thought it really did a great job of supporting that. And I, I apologize if, if this is not the case for most viewers. In the previously on montage that they showed at the premiere, there was a shot of like her brother, Viserys, Viserys? I never say Viserys, these. Listen, I'm sorry. I read these names years before they were said out loud. Sometimes I still confuse the issue. I apologize to Viserys. No, I don't. He was a total douche. But there was a shot of him from the <laughs> He was a great character. He was a great character. I mean, he, yeah, he really was. He was a great, like, you know, level one boss. He was he was a great, like, you know, first, <laughs> first level of exactly. Super Mario 2. He was the, like, you know, dragon birdo that, like, you know, fires eggs out of his mouth. He was great. Glad he's gone. <laughs> it was great to get that shot of him literally in the pilot, because to me it reaffirmed, like, yeah, like, this is her story. And to your point, James, I'm so glad you brought up the tone of this scene and how different it was from other moments in the episode. Like, you know, 
Great to have this reminder that the people we have left now are almost each of them, their stories and their style of governance are very different. And, you know, you have like John and the Stark family, you know, what's left of it and how, you know, how they're trying to run things. And, you know, they are, of course, in classic fashion, getting sort of lost in the weeds in a good way, trying to balance all these different like sides of, you know, of their own alliance. And I like that with Danny, it is like she's always been in this sort of real like high fantasy almost like messianic journey and that was just the tone of this moment was like she has returned to Westeros or at least she's she's returned to nearby Westeros I was kind of wondering like is this like kind of like saying that you're in America but you know you just landed in like Catalina or something like you're like here we are like we're, we're only 20 miles onwards from, from from the coastline right now no shots fired on on, on Catalina by the way love that place but uh <laughs> I just like, I mean, you know, yeah, like the, the long silence, the long walk, and then her saying, like, shall we begin? Like, I, I felt like that episode summed up, that line summed up this episode for me. Like, it was just a lot of, like, scene setting and prologuing for the moments that we're going to get to. And I just thought that was a real, like, high energy line to sort of, like, you know, land the sort of final beat of uh, the episode on. Though you'd think she would have sent some soldiers in first to clear out the squatters taking over that prime bit of Oceanside real estate. But I guess, thankfully, you know, it was, like, completely vacant. Like, everyone, you know, just, just decided to leave it alone. That is true. You would have thought that, like, some, like, at least at least some, like, you know, group of pirates or something like that would have been, like, at least hanging out there for a second. Like, oh, wait, there's, like, an open castle? Like, and also maybe a mountain of dragon glass somewhere nearby? Like, oh, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna definitely, like, crash here for a couple nights until somebody more powerful comes along. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, to your uh, point a bit ago, um, next week, shit goes down. Yeah? Is that what you're saying? That's my very uh, eloquent journalistic tease of, of, of <laughs> next week. Is, is, you know, I don't want to say more, but uh, shit goes down. And yeah, uh, yeah so if, if this episode felt like scene setting to, to some extent next week uh, and the week after, and pretty much all of them from this point do not. My theory is that episode two is going to be a bottle episode set in, set inside of Jorah Mormont's grayscale cell. It's just going to be like him. Like <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be very like montage yeah. from Better Call Saul. Yeah. Like you know you're going to see like you know like sunlight kind of moving across the inside of his the inside of his cell, yeah. and uh, you know that'll be oh poor poor Jorah Mormont. Just things things can't get any worse for him, can it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you make of his line about asking you know whether Danny w- was here yet? What is he waiting for for? when he gets that knowledge, you think? Uh, well, to, to be honest, like, I, I just didn't really know because I was initially confused about, like, okay, I, I thought it was sort of being held captive, but then I was like, no, maybe it's more sort of, like, this is sort of where they take these people who are afflicted right. with this in the hopes of sort of, like, yeah. either healing them or just, you know, keeping it's them It's, like, away. sort of like a leper colony kind of thing. Right, right, right yeah, yeah, ex- exactly right, yeah, which to me is, like, okay, that's interesting, like, is this him sort of seeking help? I mean, I, I was confused mainly because I was just confused that he, he had arrived there. It just seemed so far flung from where I saw assumed he would be at the start of this season. My take is like, I mean, maybe when she arrives, no, well, no, he's, he's not going to strike in the Citadel. I mean, you know, is he just going to like, is the theory I'm going to get better here and then go meet up with her? That seems a little too, I'm, I'm talking this out now and I'm realizing that I don't quite get it. But again, if, if there's any characters who I weren't expecting were going to meet up, it was definitely Sam and Jorah Mormont. Maybe they can have, they can have like some <laughs> nice conversations about what, the, what their lots in life have been so far. But I don't know. Yeah. What is he doing there, James? 
Right, that, that's that's sort of like our, our stealth first meetup, isn't it? In yeah. in terms of a new character. Well, no, no, Euron and and Cersei would would be one of them. But yeah, that that's sort of like a bit of a you know one of the. I guess those are the first two character meetups of of the new season. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't clear whether he's being held prisoner or he's being given some sort of treatment or whatnot in in that cell. It definitely looked like a prisoner type situation. I maybe he just wanted the update on the current events to find out. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like you know, do you have a copy of of the Daily Prophet so I can find <laughs> out if uh, if Danny's here yet because I'm really rooting for her. How's the livestock trade up up in High Garden? right now by the way how's the <laughs> let's talk more about about resource management while we're at it um james a lot of fun stuff in this episode i'm very excited about where it's all going tragically we only have six more episodes now it's like it's like this is our first one and we're already halfway through the season basically which is sort of frustrating <laughs> oh we should do a little should we do some trivia james sure Sure, I'm up for trivia. You all know each week we do a little bit of trivia here. We got a lot of fun giveaways to give away. Fun Game of Thrones themed swag. Um, Do we know what this week's is, James? I believe there are a few things. I believe one of them is a Jon Snow Funko Pop. Whoa, Jon Snow Funko, it rhymes. This week's trivia question, which everyone email us at gotpodcast at ew.com. Not everyone wins. We take all the correct answers and do a random drawing. This week's trivia question is, long lead up here, because I like long lead ups. We saw the return of the Targaryen dynasty to Dragonstone. Uh, Danny is now in charge of Dragonstone, as is her right, you could argue, her right by bloodline. Last time she was in Dragonstone, she had just been born. Her and Viserys left under not-so-great circumstances, because indeed that was the end, we thought, of the Targaryen dynasty in Westeros. Here's a question, though. Before they left, and not counting Danny and her brother, who was the last ranking member of the Targaryen family in Dragonstone? Yeah, we, we will not accept Young Griff as an answer. I might, but the people who, who uh, manage this will not. The last ranking Targaryen in Dragonstone before Danny and her brother left. So many fun prizes to come this season. So much fun to come this season, James. Yeah, and a lot of the, uh, the prizes this time, by the way, are going to be episode specific uh, from what I'm being told from the HBO store, which is providing our prizes. They're going to have different things that are tied to events that happen in actual episodes and then release them after the episodes air. And the whole thing is, is very mysterious. I don't know what the things are because they can't even talk about what the things are because they're tied to spoilery stuff. I think they're being manufactured in some secret underground bunker where, where, <laughs> where everyone is not allowed to like wear clothing and stuff, you know, <laughs> under like armed guard supervision to prevent these spoilers from getting out. But uh, uh, yeah, so, so we're going we're gonna to have those all season. We'll be talking more about those be sure to check out uh, my recap on ew.com for more we'll also have interviews after each episode throughout the season with members of the cast and producers and uh, uh and of course we'll also have this uh, podcast for the next seven weeks so yeah yeah Everybody, uh, if you want to keep the conversation going, uh, you can tweet at James. He's at James Hibbard. I'm at Darren Franich. If you have like s- some longer thoughts you want to share, our email is gotpodcast at ew.com. We'll try to dig into the mailbag sometime this season. Really jam-packed. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. 
You guys know we love keeping track of Game of Thrones for you, but if you want to dive in and experience the full panoramic scope of the world that George R.R. R. Martin created, go to iBooks. They have an exclusive version of George R.R. R. Martin's original Game of Thrones books called the Enhanced Editions. Every chapter starts with an interactive map so you know exactly where you are, any name you can click on and find out who this person is and how they're related to everyone else in the family tree who you've met over the course of the last two or three thousand pages. These books are available exclusively on iBooks. So go to apple.co slash Game of Thrones, check them out. They're not available in all countries, but they're probably available where you live. It's such a great way to just get all the information you need, all the different families, all the different bannermen, all the different locations in a fun, interactive method. So go to apple.co slash Game of Thrones and check them out. It's a great way to experience Game of Thrones.